B little bishop. Oh, you have something? Oh, no. Okay, okay. Um, due to the fact that we live in a uh, drug culture where um, especially teenagers are experimenting with uh, drugs um, on a regular basis, um, could you speak to the uh, correlation between recreational drug use and mental illness? Wow. Wow, I was a little distracted there. Can I, can I hear that question one more time, please? I'm sorry about that. Right. So we live in a, in a culture where um, people are experimenting with drugs, especially young people. Um, and so my question is, could you speak to the uh, correlation between uh, recreational drug use and mental illness, if there is one? Oh, okay. Okay, that brings me to the causes of mental illness. I just want to address that whole thing then. Um, the causes of mental illness can be genetic. Some people just have a propensity to develop mental illness when they are exposed to a trigger. Like I would say, there's always a trigger. Most people don't just wake up and there's mental illness. There is a trigger, even when it's genetic. When you have excessive stress, there are some people that will drink a bottle of beer, they will be fine. But another person drinks the same bottle, he's completely passed out. That's genetic. And there is neurophysiological, where there is a damage to the brain. And that's where this recreational drug comes in. When people take certain drugs, the opioids, marijuana, even excessive, alcohol can cause a, dis, a, a deregulation of, your, of the electrical system in your brain. And that can lead to developing one of the many mental illnesses, which um, I've not really had time to go through today. But there are quite a number of mental illnesses. And somebody could develop that. So it is very important, especially with our youth. As parents, we need to watch them very carefully. They are in a very pressured society. There's just so many things going on right now that are not acceptable, which never used to be acceptable. Hmm. There's peer pressure, there's, there's uh, social media, you know, there are even some people on TikTok that will actually tell people how to kill themselves. Some people, some, some people will be like, um, some people will have an account on social media, and maybe something will happen. Some of their fans will tell them, why don't you kill yourself? That's the best thing. Those things affect our youth, and our youth is very, very important. And that's really, for me, part of the reason why I came out today to talk about my experience. Because I've uh, spent a long time in the children's ministry. And when God first called me into the children's ministry, he gave me a scripture, which, was, which is uh, uh, Psalm 11:3. It says, if our foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Our children are our foundation. Amen. We need to watch them. And if we see a child is withdrawn, a child is sad all the time. I mean, it's not every sad child that is depressed. Sadness is part of life. If you are not sad when something happens to you, I mean, maybe you are not human, you know? 
But when you see it's persistent, persistent sadness, then you begin to ask questions. And don't condemn them. Don't shame Amen. them. Amen. Do not shame them. Amen. Just counsel them. Give them breathing space. Let them make their mistakes sometimes. Sometimes it's easy to learn from mistakes. Then you can advise, but do not shame them. If they, if they are depressed, let them know it's okay. Many people are depressed, but they do, you can get better. Amen. And it can be a thing of the past. Amen. Good, thank you. Any other question? Yes. Gift. So I actually have two questions. Um, my first question is, um, when it comes to mental illness, I think something that I hear a lot or just observe in general is people say, but I have a good life. I, life is good, nothing, I mean, I eat well, I have, a, I have friends, I have family, so would you say there's always, when it comes to mental illness, there's always something that triggers it, like an event that will cause that, has to trigger it. And depending on how you manage it, it can either go, go. I mean, you can either try to help it or catch it quickly, or is it something that it could potentially just go downhill from it? From experience and from researches I've done, like I said, there can be a genetic component, but there's always like a trigger. Okay. There's always a trigger. It might just be stress. It might just be a, an emotional stress. It might just even be something you experience. It might be a one-time a one thing. Let's take the case of PTSD. You know, some people go to war. They, es ah. they see their fellow person being blown in shreds. Yes. They cannot imagine that. Yes. It just disorganized something in their brain. Yes. They leave that scene. Maybe it's all gone. But um, a year down the road, they are sleeping. They jerk off from their sleep. That thing replaces itself and replaces itself. Sometimes it may even be the death of a loved one. It may be it may be lost of a friend that you really like, and they, or it may be people even just saying negative things about you that you cannot handle. If you have a propensity to be depressed and not be able to come out of it very fast, it can persist. I can tell you, everybody has depression. Yep. But it is that persistent depressive state that becomes a problem when you can no longer snap out of it, where you need medical help to, to, to overcome it. So gift in her case, she explained that she went through a sickness, went through chemo, and she did not get sufficient rest because from what she explained to me, chemo depletes certain cells in your body, okay? So it left her depleted, and she's still working at the same time. So after a while, something had to give. So the sickness was the trigger to what caused what, she, what, she did, what happened with her. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. My second question, I, I do want to say thank you for coming up here, Auntie, because it's something that I feel like we don't talk about enough, and we just kind of ignore Yes. And I would, I would say that there is a stigma, which leads to my next question, um, and this uncle might be able to answer this. When you have a friend um, who, as 
you've observed and you kind of you kind of notice the difference and like you said you don't want to get out of bed you don't maybe they don't talk as much or they're not as excited about life as they used to be and maybe in conversations they kind of touched on like things that they're dealing with or like oh just in passing as a joke but you know you're kind of observing like oh this this might be this is something serious they're saying here so you kind of take a step back and listen and then it comes to a situation where you start to observe and you notice those changes. Now, this person has, you know, they brush it off, whatever the stigma is, um, to even make it more, this is an African male, and they've also shared with you that um, there's a stigma of being a man. You can't, you have to stay strong, you can't, you can't be going to therapy, what is that? <laughs> it's, it's not a thing in the African community, it's a, it's a stigma they've voiced to you and you know it's true. And the person has also told you, I, I, I have shared this with you, but I don't really want, to use, want you to share with anyone. Um, it's almost that like it kind of like dismiss it or act like it's not a thing anymore. What would, you, what would be your <sighs> advice um, for somebody like that, that one, is there a thing where you have to be respectful of their choice and not wanting to talk about it as much or do you, I guess, throw that to the wind and say, you know what, I care about your health, I care about your mental well-being, I'm going to go beyond whatever you told me not to do and wow. try to help you. Or what, what, is, what is the right word to say to someone like that, I guess? Okay. Um, that's why when, uh, with, when we started this uh, uh, topic, I tried to go into the pathophysiology, you know, I try to tell people, it's a disease, it's not your fault. Just like somebody that has a diabetes, that's just who you are. And we want to keep something a secret. If you continue to keep a secret a secret, it might become fatal, in which case it will no longer be a secret. Hmm. Why don't you treat this secret so that we don't get to the point of fatality? As long as you make those people understand that what is happening to you is not just you alone. About 30% of the American population have it. It's not just you. If you don't treat it now, it could get to a very bad state. Right. And do you want that to happen? And it doesn't make me look at you less. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't make me think you are crazy <clears throat> because it's common. You, you don't have to be in denial. The worst thing you can be is, is in self-denial. Amen. And, and one last thing I want to add to that gift. As the person who received the news or who you received the information, you have to ask yourself a question. If this matter becomes fatalistic, and you did not do anything, are you willing to live with that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. In other words, I may be the only way for this person to get help because they've shared this with me. Now, I understand they said, don't tell anybody. But I also understand the nature of what we're dealing with. So, I have, to, I have to be satisfied to say, okay, you know what? Not do anything is, an, is, is a good option. Okay, I won't do anything. Or 
not do anything is not an option. Because if this person hurts themselves or hurts somebody else, am I willing to live with that? And if I can answer and say, no, I'm not willing to live with that, then I'm going to do something about it. Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah. It's a tough place to be. I'm not saying it's easy to, to make a call, but at the end of the day, given what we know now, uh, because, I mean, uh, like, like we shared at the beginning of this message, there are many people that we know that seemingly lived a normal life, and we did not know what was going on inside of them. Anthony Bourdain, Philip Phelps, Naomi Osaka, shall I name anymore? Robin Williams, Brooke Shields, on and on and on and on. These guys appear on the platform, we applaud them, we praise them, we, we sing their praises, but they are dying in, inwardly. I, I, the one for Anthony Bourdain paints me. I, I don't know him, I don't know him at all, but it, it just paints me to no end because I enjoyed wa watching his show. And the last show I watched, I had to know that the next day he was going to kill himself by hanging. And can you imagine Rick Warren's son? Yes. Committed suicide. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know, I actually have a friend that's, I mean, Bishop Hoskins in Cedar Town uh, in North Georgia. Incredibly eloquent man. I have never heard a, a, another person preach like he does. True story. You know her. You know him, Sharon. Yeah. Bishop Hoskins. David Hoskins. Incredible. We go to lunch together, we share, we go to meetings and do meetings together. And I found out he, he, he shot himself. I couldn't believe it. He had a divorce. His wife left him. And next thing I know, he, he killed himself. So, but when she explained it to me about how when you are in that state, you almost feel like the world is not worthy of you. That's, what, that's the lie that, that's, that the world is not worthy of you. And, and when you kill yourself, you escape from an unworthy world. That's, that's, the, that's the way people feel when they're in that state. Yeah, so, and that's why we're talking about it. Are you done? Yes. Thank you very much for coming forward. Amen. I have a couple of online questions. Um, first one says... I can barely hear you, ma'am. Push it down. Okay. Can I take a time of that? Yes. First of all, you must, like I said by saying, you must have people in your house fellowship, in your grace group, that your grace group that you can relate with. In my experience, you bring them into the house. Pastor mentioned it. It's not a CNN issue. Is this case because you must remember the esteem of the individual is important. Amen. You do not want to add on to the stigmatization. Yes. Whether you want to remove that stigma. So you bring credible people. The late Dr. Eric Jones will visit my house. My wife will not know why he's there. Oh, okay. I mean, this is a Harvard trained guy. She said she knows she's that your breaks so you can relate with well. Dr. Nothing will come. 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't know why they are there. The, 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 the who was husband and wife physicians in Emory. They used to be here, but they left. Yeah, I remember. They would visit. Husband and come, wife would come. Four people. So they come in, they, sit, they just sit down there, interact with her, talk along. This one we come. So regularly there were people coming in, and I bothered Pastor quite a bit. Sure. Oh, no, you didn't bother me. <laughs> no, no, seriously, on a good note. Yes. So, so I've mentioned five people now. Not many people knew about this episode. I mean, the only thing that happened was I was, I, I believe in the old fashioned method. You need to pray and fast. I left my hair on court for, for a while. So, <laughs> so one day, Pastor Tosi said, Why are we not calling? I said, Don't, don't worry about it. We had the testimony of that. And let me say this also. My confession was positive all through. Amen. You see the person as God created the Amen. 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 You don't see, don't confess negative. David set the standard in 1 Samuel 24 that you preached the upper Sunday. Yes. You say what God says about them and then relate to people you, you know who will not broadcast, but they will add value to whatever you need. Bring the children to my house. Whenever there was a problem, I can say this, I would take the children to Dr. Duffer's house. They will be there. So for, for I can, whatever I need, I can go. So you have, first of all, do you relate with people enough? I have to answer that question. Do you relate with people Because he enough? who have friends must show themselves friendly. Friendly. If yeah. you relate with people enough, you should be able to have four, five people that you can say, hey, it's what's happening. Come on now, I need help. Amen. So that's basically. Amen. So one has capacity to help one another. Amen. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say, sir, is one has what you need. You just have to release yourself to receive. Amen. You, be, you also be a helper. Are you helping? Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, this next question is actually from Nigeria. It says, "Is there any link between stress and mental illness?" And I mean stress due to workload. On target or goals? Oh, I'll let her answer the question, but let me just tell you my unprofessional answer. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is big yes. But go ahead, ma'am. <laughs> yes, there is a correlation between stress and mental illness. Just being stressed alone, first and foremost, releases what you call adrenaline in your body. It releases cortisone in your body. <laughs> and this translates to trans, trans, transmitting messages and putting your body under stress. Yeah. And if you do not address this stress properly, it will go into a domino effect <laughs> and that can lead to depression. And there was something that, you know, when I was making this write-up, my daughter Abigail said something, and I kind of wrote it down. Uh, let me quickly see if I, if I know where I wrote it. Oh, yeah, it's right here. It said, have a mental health day. Tell yourself, learn to decompress. Take time out. Go smell the flowers. Look at the big blue sky that God has made. <laughs> Relax. Tell yourself, 
that you are precious in God's eyes. Amen. And you are precious to yourself. Ah. Like the Bible said, love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. What does that connote? You should learn to love yourself first. Yeah. Take time out, spoil yourself, relax. It's not all about chasing money. It's not all about looking good. It's, it's just relax, <laughs> enjoy. I tell Abigail every time, I say, enjoy yourself. You are a teenager, you can never live this life, this teenage life again. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy, and then another thing that I feel we don't do enough as believers, we do not enjoy God. Define we that. See, we, yeah, we yeah. see God as one big father who has a stick, hey. ready to correct us when we do wrong, <laughs> and ready to do this, and if we don't pray enough, he will not answer. No, God loved the sum total of us. Amen. The, the little, our shortcomings, our, 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 our good things, all, our, all, everything about us. And that's why all things work together for the good of, the, of them who love the Lord. Amen. Let us enjoy God as our Father. Amen. God is not a headmaster, or you know, the olden day headmaster, ready to whoop our bottom when we do something wrong. Amen. So, no, the, Psalm, the Bible says in Psalms 103 that God gives us good things to enjoy. enjoy. And He satisfies our mouths with good things. That's why I want to encourage all of you follow Ibiko to Santorini on a vacation. <laughs> Don't let him enjoy the vacation by himself. You guys follow him. Amen. <laughs> That's, that's part of everything that God is asking us to do. Some of us have never been anywhere, yeah. other than Snellville or uh, Stone Mountain or uh, Gwinnett. Live life. Yeah. Enjoy God. Take the blessings of God everywhere you go with you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Don't just be a sad, sad Christian. We're always running. No, come on, man. Chill. You know, okay? My sister-in-law, you today wants to go to the Maldives. Follow her to the Maldives and go find out what's, what's going on there. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Yes. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just give God the praise and glory for having a wonderful family. Amen. Like I said earlier, I've been in this church for 21 years. This church is a family to me. You know, God has blessed me in this church. I was married for nine years before I had Joshua. And I had Abigail in this church. And they have grown before your eyes. Amen. And God is using them. Amen. Amen. That's right. We have to look at the blessings of God. Yes. We have to know that, like the psalmist said, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yes. God is with us. Amen. One thing that helped me a great deal at that time was. Almost my unshakable uh, knowledge of God. My unshakable knowledge that God loves me. And what is happening to me was not brought on me by God. God is not punishing me for anything. Amen. This is an attack of the devil. And I will go through it. 
and my children were always with me. I mean, I, 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 I remember Joshua. Joshua will be. Joshua was still young then. He will, he, he had this uh, guitar. He will come and be playing a song for me. <laughs> and uh, be saying, "Mommy, what do you want?" Abigail will do this. My husband is there, you know. <laughs> and I just, I just knew that God was there. Amen. But the difficult thing during that period is the fear that you're never able to get out of this hmm. because it's so intense that you will feel, will I be able to ever get out of this? But since I got out of it, I mean, maybe like the last six or so years, I know God helped me Amen. and God can help anyone else. Amen. 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 Abigail, you have a question? Huh? No, if I have a question, take it and we, we can offer on for uh, online, in person, online, in person, online. Can we do that? Go ahead. So um, I wanted to ask more for um, Dr. Andrews, more like how do you, how do you react around someone with a mental health issue? Um, so I had a friend one time, she called me up and was telling me how she was depressed. Of course, you know, like we've all said, Nigeria, stigma, all of that stuff. I said what I had to say. But, I, I, like, I, I don't know how I could have had that talk with her because the next day I heard she was, uh, the ambulance came and took her to the mental health facility. This was someone who was very okay. Like, it wasn't anything happening to her. So when she called me that day, to me it was, you know, <laughs> More like we went all the Bible routes, you know, all of that. How do you react to such a person? If you're to visit such a person, how do you how do you react around that person? And I, I know you guys talked about you know you telling her you're talking gibberish. In that kind of instance, um, are you affirming or are you telling the person what's right? Um, I, I later on visited her and she was you know, saying something about her husband being Jesus. Something like that. So, like, do you, have, you know, not, in order not to aggravate them further, do you just go on with it, or what do you do? And then, second, um, just backing up to that is, um, is there such a thing as showing too much, too much um, love, for lack of a better word? What I mean is, is you know, let's say, for example, you never used to help the person. And then all of a sudden you're not you're doing too much pretty much. Is there anything like that? Okay, let, oh, let, let me start. Let, with let me quickly answer that question. Because by the grace of God, when I was going through the mental challenge I was going through, uh, to a large extent, I was still very uh, cognitive, you know. And uh, my husband used to say, like, I was talking gibberish. And really that infuriated me so very much. You know, I, I really took a lot of offense to that. And looking back now, I would have really preferred if he was telling me that, oh, yeah, okay, but I just think, you know, uh, something is, is a little off, you know? Maybe we, can, maybe we can go to the doctor and just see what the doctor says, rather than telling me, I think you have a problem. You understand? Because at that point, I don't think I have a problem. 
And even if I have a problem, you telling me that if you rate me. So if you kind of try to tell me that, yeah, you're fine. I mean, you do this, you do this, you know, I know you're fine, but you know, you might be under a lot of stress. Correct. Yeah, you might be under a lot of stress. Don't just say you're depressed. You're talking gibberish. No, those things are very infuriating. All you can say is you might be, you know, you might be stressed, you know. Why don't we take a break, you know? Why don't we go see the doctor together and see what the doctor has to say? And of course, when you go there, the first thing the doctor will probably do for you is give you some of these questionnaires, you know. Tell you, you know, question yourself and answer those questions. And you will be able to make an informed decision. When you come out and really tell the person as it is, you know, it's very upsetting. Instead, it's better to like kind of affirm that person in the right things that the person is doing. And say, you did this right, you did this right, but you are not used to doing this particular thing. Why did you do it this way? You understand? The person will be more uh, ready to hear what you have to say. Amen. Prof, you have anything to add to that? No, just to uh, kind of reemphasize that, I think you loving the, the person, the premise should be that of loving the individual. Like the hugging thing you talked about, I think that's going to be very encouraging to the individual. Because you see, you are not distancing from them at that point in time. You are reaffirming them, you are associating with them, you are comforting them, so they should be more receptive in that instance. So that's, that's a, a preferred route. To, Amen. To, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Yes. Okay. Another online question from Nigeria. It says, Dear Dr. Ibari, what would be your final advice to the immediate family of a mentally ill person who is not open to medication? The, to the uh, family that's not open? Yeah. Revelation. Please. To the family to the, that's not open. Is that what you're saying? Or to no, the individual? To the person that is not to open. To the immediate family, yes. Mm, yeah, but to the person who is not open to medication. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I can't say this enough, and I will say it again. Empathy, compassion. Because many of the things these people feel are real to them. You'll be surprised, somebody will be smelling something. That's what's called offer tree hallucination. Hmm. He's smelling it, you are not smelling it. It, it might smell like uh, maybe gas, and his face is choking. The person will be hearing things. It is real to them, believe it or not. So if something is real to somebody, you cannot persecute that person. You just have to empathize. You just have to say, in fact, sometimes you, you just have to like defer to them. Say, I understand what you are feeling. They, I understand. You know, a lot of people feel this way, you know, but, you know, it can get better. Why don't we get a second or third opinion? The whole thing might not just be go and take medication. You know, it might be, let's get a third opinion. Let's get a second opinion and see what they, they say. You know, defer to them as much as possible because, like we see in the case of uh, bipolar depression, the people can actually become very aggressive. They can be aggressive to the point where they can kill somebody, and they think, you know, you are now their enemy. Hmm. Amen. Okay. Go ahead, Abigail. 
Time is going. Ten more minutes. Are we going to wrap it up? Yeah. Just stand, stand at the mic. If you have a question, just stand up. Yes. Go ahead. Um, I'm personally thankful to God that I don't have any um, serious mental illness, but I just wanted to make this statement that it is really helpful for me, and I know a lot of people my age who don't suffer with these serious illnesses just because as school is coming and, you know, the stress of school and homework and our grades, that, um, you know, having that mental health day, just taking a break, don't be lazy, but at the same time, appreciate yourself and don't stress yourself out. And that's what I really got from this. You know, it is important because like you told me, mom, depression isn't your neighbor. It doesn't just knock on your door. You have to let it in and you have to let it in slowly and gradually. And so wow. I just think that, you know, if you yeah, take those steps, if you have those breaks, if you just take a rest day, you know, you really do help prevent that depression from knocking so hard, from it coming into your mind or your life. So I'm just very thankful for that. Amen. Wow. Yes, ma'am. Initially, you probably don't know you're having a mental health, you know? You, you won't know. Like I said, usually we start with lethargy. You know, you just think you're tired. Oh, let me sleep some more. <laughs> let me sleep some more. And sleeping some more, we just keep sleeping some more. And you get to the point where you don't even now get any sleep anymore, you know? And uh, you, you will not be as functional as you were. For example, when I woke up, I would want to go to the kitchen to prepare food for my children. And in the case of Abigail, it was particularly pathetic that I'm usually good with my hands, you know, I, I can uh, get uh, hair done, you know. So when Abigail was young, I really used to fix her hair really nice and everything. But during that whole period, I don't even remember whether Abigail's hair is messed up. I don't even care, you know. Even my neighbor will be like, wow, Abigail, why is your hair so messed up, you know? So sometimes my husband will have to go and get Abigail's hair done. But this is me that I'm usually very deliberate, I'm very concerned, I'm particular right. about situation. Yeah. After some time, believe it or not, you're going to say, you know what, I think something is just not right with me. And uh, depending on, uh, again, how your family uh, approach the issue, either sympathetically and uh, empathically, or like my husband said, in some cases where you have to take tough love, it gets to the point where it's so obvious that you have to get help. Okay, maybe, let me reword it like this. Mm. Let's say you're at the stage, you realize there's a problem, you know what the triggers are, but you're working through not having that, you know, working through the adrenaline release when you're going through Yes. 
be able to learn how to work through those triggers when they are Okay. All the, uh, the, well, one thing I would recommend is uh, decompress. Take a break. If you are too uh, out there, you know, just take a break and decompress and ask yourself some questions. Uh, having passed through this, I, I talked to a number of friends and I shared my experience with them. And they even came to their own conclusion that, you know, I might be depressed. So all these things you're telling me happens to me. That's right. You know, some people will just think it's the normal goings and coming of life. No, but if you are not happy as a person, you don't enjoy things that you used to enjoy, then that is the purpose of this talk. Ask yourself a question. Ask yourself that very important question. Am I okay? There are many people, like especially uh, the Westerners here, who live alone. They don't have a family, they don't have, uh, they don't have uh, friends. Some of them actually just go and see the doctor by themselves. Some people go to psychoanalysts, maybe every, every month or every, to analyze them. Because as a grown adult, you will see that you are not functioning the way you used to function. And it came to that point that I knew that there was a problem because it got to the point where I couldn't even go to work anymore. Thank you, Amen. Sorry, Vision. But Tunde has a question there. Let me, in person. That's an in person question. Thank you. Um, first of all, I want to thank you, Pastor Bam, for treating this subject. And uh, Sister Idari and Brother Joseph, I want to, to finally thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found experience in people that have these kind of similar things that they nearly kill themselves. And I'm exposed to people who are addicted to mental issues. And it's a trickle effect. Like you just spoke, it transcends to either husband or wife or the extended family, like in my case. Even professionally, people that, to the glory of God, we have a clinic that will treat people that are addicted to opium. And when I started the business, I wanted to pray for them. And I noticed it's not only the prayer. <laughs> I see the father, the son, the husband, the grandchild addicted. And it was a mental issue. And the counselor started talking to me. Take your Christianity aside and let's talk about treatment. Now, when you and I go to the have to doctors for annual physical, there's always a question about depression. We wave it as if it's not important. Every time I go, I remember the last time I went, the doctor went through a lot of series of questions. And I said, why are you asking me? I said, you are now 65 and now. We have to ask all these questions. Because when you get to this stage, loneliness, you feel like the things you can't do before, you can't do. To some personal questions. And we, from this type of ethnicity, we try to rub it under the, under the rug and feel like those things are not important. 
there are moments that we just break down. I've been in a situation that I was, I was just walking, 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 that it affected my health, and it nearly affected my relationship. That I had to step back, and to the glory of God, he had to took that back job away from me, and that was how I got my healing. Amen. Because the thing about it, there are some things that we just have to recognize and take ownership. Medication, it is good to do what? It's not about the healing, but to decompress. And to heavy healing about what anybody is going through. If you have to take medication, it's not a shame. Take the medication. And like you said, from what you are saying, three out of ten people in this nation is suffering. That is what we know. How about the ones that we don't know? Amen. A lot of us, we are mentally depressed, but we cannot confess it. And the method that you took, I learned from it. To bring people that are closer to you to come and speak about your thing. And then the language that you speak makes a big difference. Amen. Because you just taught us something. Makes big difference. I want to connect this teaching. Give me a lot of things because you don't know this. All of us, you are going to go through stages of life that it will impact you. That if you are not careful, the things that you ignore might be the things next to you that you yourself will have to get involved. And then if you are not careful, your own depression comes in. Why did this happen to me? Our children are in school. We expect so much from them. We see their changes of lifestyle. We don't take notice and we don't take charge. Or come to their rescue in a, in a good way, not in a negative way. Right. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, my own may not really be impatient, but. Uh, over the years, what life has taught us. We, we, we have been talking of uh, depression and mental health. And we, we, are, we are looking only at the breaking point or the teething age. The, what I want us to know is that the, the next person to you in your house, in your office, in the church, is 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 is, is waiting for a, a trigger, and you may be the the trigger. The trigger is not just the alcohol, the opium, and all those things. Your words to your colleague, your way to somebody in your house, will be the the, the, the trigger. Sometimes the the, the, the traffic madness. <laughs> Road rage. So, don't only be good to your friends. Be good to the next person to you. Man. You don't even know how many people you should have that uh, have peace with them. Yeah. When they are leaving the, the house, they don't pick the gun to shoot somebody. 
they they will be gone because uh, somebody may want to attack them. They tell themselves for self-defense. But when when trigger, they will use it for unimaginable thing. Don't be the intriguer. Soft words, yield. Amen. Don't claim just your right. It is only the living that have right to defend. Amen. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, when you have a family member suffering from mental disease, is there assistance for the caregivers? And what and what is that type of care called? Or is it a situation where the family member just needs to continue to pray? I don't really understand the question. I heard what you said, but I don't understand the question. Is there assistance for caregivers? Okay, um, uh, medically, from what I know, uh, there's not really uh, an established assistance for the caregiver. If anything, I think uh, from, um, from about 20 or so years ago, uh, America used to really institutionalize mental ma health management, you know, where the government will have institutions where you can take somebody to, even if you do not uh, have the funds to take care of such a one. But because I hate to say too much capitalism or insurance or whatever it is, the government really is not doing that right now. And uh, of course, uh, the government is really, really needs to look at that area, especially uh, considering the cost of uh, management of mental diseases, you know? Sometimes it just falls on the family. Like, uh, I know somebody, uh, I mean, we didn't go through a lot, some of uh, other kind of mental diseases, we know like ADHD is a mental disease, you know, where you have a child jumping, you know, the child is not, cannot keep still. Uh, in Nigeria, we just give him one heavy con. My friend, sit down. It's <laughs> 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 just because there's some hyperactivity in certain parts of the brain. And I've seen somebody who was paying uh, for the medication that works for the child, $20. The person changed insurance, and the new insurance was charging her $200. And I was like, oh my God, why don't you tell the doctor to like see if they can change the medicine to another one? She was like, you know what? We have tried so many medicines. This one works for this child. I'm ready to pay that $20. $200. You know, I mean, $200, you know? And like I said, a lot of these uh, psychotropic drugs are very expensive, especially the new ones, which, which are more effective because with time, medication development is more tailored now to try to eliminate a lot of side effects, you know, but they also come out to be very expensive. And I don't think there's enough government support for mental health issue. Amen. Good. As you are getting ready for your last question, if the priest will just come back on the platform, we're getting ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yes, go ahead. Um, is one of the reasons people don't seek help, is it possible that it may relate to employment? Do employers deny people employment with mental health? Um, most uh, kind of mental health 
can be very debilitating, in which case the person cannot even seek employment. You know, and there are some who have employment who cannot even continue to work. You know, uh, it's not really considered like a disability per se. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that somebody who is very depressed, <laughs> that person goes for an interview, that person might not even make that interview in the first place. <laughs> you know, it might, not, it might not get a job. So it's not as if they deny you employment, but I just think uh, is a kind of mental and social disease that sometimes it's impossible for you to even be available to work. Amen. All right, that does it for this Kingdom Conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for joining us this afternoon or this morning. And I hope that something that was said today has helped answer some questions. And if you have further questions, or even if you have any need or need some help, please go to the website, workfriendusa.org. We have many resources on there for you that can help you. Amen? Amen. Dr. Barry, Dr. Andrews, I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your story with us. And I pray that the same comfort that the Holy Ghost comforted you and your family with, that God will extend that comfort to everyone and anyone right now under the sound of my voice that needs help in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as the person of worship does this one song, if you have any need, if you have any need, again, if you have any need and you are here, I don't want you to just leave without that need being met. Amen? As a minister, just now, if you just come, and Pastor Abdicate should come on the platform to close us out, and if you just come, we will pray for you. Amen? That's the advantage of being in the house in person. If you are here and you need ministration of any kind, we will minister to you. Over to you guys.